0: This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by Mr. Cat Meets Kitten, now available through Amazon. Attention citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science.
1: This is Super Pulp Science where we talk about how the genre gets made. Um, I'm here with my long-suffering co-host, Justin Curry, also known as Chasing Artwork, and a very special guest, Anna Tickle, illustrator on our new book project, Haunted Helpers. Hello, Anna. Hello. (laughs) That may have been an unnecessary alliteration, so hopefully um, our listeners will forgive me for that. We are all in very separate locations right now. You're where right now?
0: I'm just in my bedroom.
1: But? Somewhere else in Manitoba. Oh yes, Lockport. You're in Lockport. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm in my uh, son's bedroom, which is both the coolest and quietest room in the house currently. And uh, Justin, you're not at the studio, I can tell from your backdrop. I'm at the home studio. Home studio. So we're all in our little mountain layers and we're gonna do our best to talk about a couple of things, number one, um, for the dear listener. Um, we'll let Hannah tell her own version of the story, but for context, uh, we're working on a new book right now called Haunted Helpers. Hannah's the illustrator of that story. Why don't you tell our listeners uh, how the hell we
0: convinced you to work with us? Oh, it didn't take much convincing. I wanted to do it. I, uh, I reached out to Justin and Greg through um, like the apprenticeship program at Red River College, And I was taking graphic design, and I wanted to do something to further my illustration skills. I met you guys through conventions. We had talked, and it turned out you were actually looking for an illustrator for a project at the time, right? I think you guys had already come up with the book idea. Correct. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we had an idea. Yeah. And uh, we actually had seen your most recent work at the open house at Red River
2: oh right and
1: started, yeah it started to stick with us that maybe that was the fit I think.
2: Right. I yeah.
3: we talked about it about hiring you on the side or hiring you after you graduated and then you contacted us about the mentorship and we realized that we could yeah two birds with one stone make it part of the mentorship instead of hiring you like a yeah. <laughs> like a real client <laughs> So maybe one thing
1: for the sake of the listener we should talk about is that um, the way the mentorship worked was the idea was that the mentor was supposed to come and then, you know, the mentees create a sort of structured project so that the people in the program can see what it's like to plan or execute a project Mm -hmm. on a timeline uh, with an employer. And so Justin and I said, well, rather, rather than try to make up some kind of arbitrary thing, Why don't you just work on the book? And you very intelligently said no. I don't know if you remember that. I don't remember that. I'm not ready to do something that big yet. I would like to, maybe we could work on the character designs. Maybe we could just work on layout. Like you didn't just say, sure, no problem. Let's just go for it. You had a really, I, I felt... Uh, in the same situation, I would have made the bad move of saying, "Yeah, let's do it," <laughs> whereas you made the much more wise move of saying, "Let's see if it's even possible." And then you gave us some reasonable thresholds that would be easy to work with your program, and kind of educated us on the best way to have you work. Which was funny. It was you told us the best way to have you as a med- team mentor. Men- I don't know
0: how that. Would be. Yeah, I it forgot was, about that. Yeah, I, I. there was so much going on with the program, too. Like, I definitely wasn't ready to take on a whole book of my own yet. Um, but there was so much work, like some, so, so, such a big workload. Um, yeah, I think we just did, for the first semester, it was just the character designs.
1: And so, for the listeners' sake, it was like, how did this work? Justin had taken the concept... We had worked out the rhymes, roughly.
3: Oh. So I mean, The, like, the origin origin was, I want to say, like, circa 2016, 2017. Mm-hmm. I was up late going through old sketchbooks. Oh, that's right. No, I remember. Yeah. And, like, just on, it just kind of, like, inspiration struck. And I'm like, you know what would be a funny story is this lonely ghost who lives in a house, like, by herself, and she's bored, so she goes down to the basement and wakes up the skeleton who's buried there, and they start like playing checkers, but eventually they want other people to play checkers against or something. And it was just this like, she was just lonely, and she wanted more people to play with. And so I storyboarded like 20 some pages of this, and I think I like texted it to Gregory like, this would be like a cute idea to like do later. And then we completely forgot about the project, and then we were sitting in the studio one day and I found the papers again because I keep all the, like, the storyboards and whatnot. Yeah, we were cleaning up and looking for stuff and found that. Yeah. And, and then, then we, you I started, started making right. Yeah, You started riffing pages and it evolved into all these other monsters living in the house as well. And this was around noon, actually. So we did this around noon. Gregory started writing it. And then when you went home... You sent me the final script, like, around wow. supper. That's right, because I sat down with the kids, my uh, my
1: boys and my wife, and I was just doing rhyme schemes and reading up the rhymes and just, like, riffing on. Um, what the dear listener doesn't know, because I don't have a lot of chance to do it in public, is I love making up rhymes, as Hannah learns. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <in the laughs> in the studio. Um, my rap career uh, never really took off, um, but
3: uh, I sure do like rhyming kids. And then with the final script, you sent it to me like at, right after supper and then by your kid's bedtime, I had storyboarded out the new book. Wow. I so read it for bedtime. So it all That's came a, together within a day and it came together so easily and organically that we knew it was definitely a project that could stand on its own.
1: Yeah, it's funny because if you look at it in one way, it wasn't like that it came together quickly. We spent almost like 24 hours nonstop working. Yeah, wow. But it was so fun that it wasn't like, like, oh, you got to get to the grindstone and you're just pouring in the hours and trying to. It just, I didn't want to stop. And every time I sent something to Justin, he would just add more to it, and it just, it was like the proverbial snowball down the hill, until suddenly there was this sort of cute, funny project, kind of half finished, um, not about half finished. But well, as far as illustration goes, yeah, maybe a half, I guess. Ninety <laughs> <laughs> yes, percent of the credit to Hannah for how it is. But uh, uh, I guess what I'm getting at there is that um, there wasn't any there wasn't any pause where it's not working. It just came together and rather than say like, Hey, it's not the most profound book we've ever or, made, or, hey, could it be this, that, or this other thing? We just made the thing we made and then decided that's what it is. We packed that snowball tight and then said, now what should, you know, what's the best way to throw it? Um, <laughs> and I think it was you, Justin, who said maybe this is something that someone else should illustrate. Because we've been toying around with the idea of expanding the
3: studio and like bringing in some other voices. Well, I think our, our list of books that we wanted to make kept growing and growing, and, you know, you can only make so many books in a year yeah. and other things you need to work on and you realize, yeah, if you want to get these all done, we might need some help. And long came Hannah. Save me. Only you can stop this killing.
1: What we were kind of taking on is a hybrid sort of position as both potential publisher, marketer, and collaborator on the project because Hannah was familiar with doing uh, Common Conventions, which Justin and I, did regularly before the world closed. Um, And we thought that this would be a great way to um, uh, bring a project into the fold with someone who understood how to go to a convention, how to set up at a convention, knew what that life was like, knew how to navigate it, um, and that we could help with some of the logistics because we were doing it more often. We thought that this might be a great way for all of us to uh, uh, benefit from our labor directly to the consumer market but now that the world's closed uh we're all in a kind of a hmm, what is the next what is the next place um oh and maybe for the sake of posterity, uh, so that you can use this against us in the legal battle 20 years from now hannah or uh for the persons trying to figure out how we made that work we had hannah calculate her day rate yeah. To estimate what a day rate in illustration would be, and then set that as the amount of money that we would then uh, we would put up for printing, and then for marketing of that same book, so that everybody had sort of an equal share in what the hard costs were. Your time versus the money of we would buy, we would book the table spaces, we would book the flights, we would do that side of things, um, and that was the way that we were hoping to equitably split the hard costs up front and then we would recruit from the actual direct sales wow. um very different from a normal publishing model who has someone sign, they're paid a brief uh or a brief it's brief because it runs out so fast a small amount of money uh as a advance and then um a percentage of the sales which is usually around 10 percent. so we we're trying to create something
3: that was more like a 33 percent payout mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. side. um with a, uh, like, immediate return as well. Like, our original plan was to have the book ready for September because there's uh, a couple local conventions back-to-back-to-back to back to back that we could kind of test out not only at conventions but at, like, bookstores and see how everything was working and then we'd finish off with our, our big local convention. And from there, like, worst-case scenario, we'd, we'd all be paid a bit for our time, but best case scenario, we, we sell out of the book, and we know the model works, yeah. and we can do it again. And...
1: Yeah, and that's that model that sort of Justin and I have made work for the last couple of years, so that's why we were just yeah. to try it with a um, sort of a new style and a new, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's not just a collaboration, because we've collaborated with lots of other people, but we thought it would be fun to create a whole new brand that was separate from ours. Like, I have my whole mm-hmm. boot set up just as his, and we thought one of the fun things to do would be to say, take the knowledge we know about what works and swap out somebody else's art, ideas, stories, and see if that same system would still work. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: mm-hmm. We had spent some time trying to figure out who that person could be, and then it just kind of ballooned out of... Yes out of Haunted Helpers. We had had that idea already and then paired it with this book project and that's where we're at right now. Um,
3: can you, so, can we go into like a bit of the uh, your process of how you make pages from kind of like the thumbnail to the sketch to like the the digital to everything? Because I'm like knee deep in making a book right now and I'm curious as to how other people go about. It.
0: Yeah, um, I think that I stick pretty much to the same process a lot of artists do, where it's like, you know, the sketching and then the line art and then the final colors. Um, I prefer to sketch on paper most of the time. Uh, I just find I don't get as caught up in like the little details. It's too easy to zoom in and like clean up things on a digital screen. Um, and then I, like, photograph it, bring it in to either Photoshop, or sometimes I'll you
3: do... take a picture with your phone?
0: Yeah, I don't even scan yeah. it. <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't used a
1: scanner in years now. I just use digital cameras. Terribly slow
3: technology.
0: Yeah, that it's... So much. Unless you're really trying to preserve that initial, like, sketch, which I'm not usually trying to do. I'm just going to draw over it anyway. Photo works great. Yeah. And then... I'll go into line art, uh, either in Photoshop or on the iPad, and then just rough color, I kind of merge the line art and the coloring together. And I generally work on one layer, but I've been improving on that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, one layer, to me that's madness. But I mean, uh, every traditional artist using analog technology of a canvas is like, yeah, one layer. Right. Of course. <laughs> yeah suppose. So it's those of us who are using digitally who are used to being able to have those layers separated so that you can, uh, you know, start over without starting
3: over. Well, and then, um, once you, like in the InDesign file as well, are you, do you work on one page start to finish or do you do like line art of a couple and then switch over to coloring a couple and then switch over to,
0: right. Um, I like I had everything laid out so I could see where the text lined up in the illustration to make sure it like fit nicely and I yeah generally like do all of the line arts all together but then doing the coloring it's not linear it's just kind of if I feel like I've done you know maybe two days on a really detailed page I'm gonna go do an easier one give myself a break or if I'm like mm. in the flow of doing complicated stuff, I'll just keep picking the complicated pages.
1: What do you qualifies as complicated?
0: I guess that would be anything with like more background because backgrounds are generally more difficult for me to do than characters. Why do you think that it's? I think I just neglected learning how to do backgrounds. like, when I started doing art.
3: <laughs> isn't that everybody, though? We all just like the characters, and the background yeah. is kind of it's always
0: like, background. Uh, yeah. I, it, can be, it can be a trap, for sure. Yeah, Definitely. Like, my, my first fan art pieces, I think pretty much all the backgrounds were, like, gradients or just, like, a solid color, which isn't always a bad thing. Like, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but um, definitely transitioning into drawing, like, children's books instead of just standalone characters um you have to know how to do a background
1: and i found a um i mean i was teaching a grade eight class about some of these techniques and i was saying that when you're trying to figure out your background the first thing to do is give the character a shadow Mm. and then so much of the background becomes decided by where you want that dramatic light because then it determines where the light source is in the space that you're in. Now, it could be true that you, you know, in comics, you have a character moving through a a previously established place or setting, but in a kid's book, right, you're trying to, um, the emotive central character kind of right there on the page to like connect with people. So picking that light source first establishes where where they are in the the room or in the place or outside, inside, all that stuff. What kind of job are you looking for?
0: Well, commercial art, mainly. I'm taking my
1: art lessons. So when you're going from your line art, uh, or I should say your sketch, so you sketch analog, mm-hmm. and then you do your line art uh, in Photoshop, yeah. and then you do your color dropping also in Photoshop. When you are um, trying to refine uh, the characters' expressions, the way they emote, the way they sort of connect with the reader, what's going on in there? Do you have some like, go-to tricks, or do you have some references that you really love, or some inspirations that you just, when you're stuck, you look up a certain somebody's work?
0: Well, I do, uh, I love Pinterest, (laughs) so I I definitely have, like, boards of inspiration if I do get stuck, Um, but if there's, like, a certain expression I'm looking for, and I'm really struggling, I, sometimes I'll look at stock images, (laughs) you know, just, like, overly exaggerated expressions, just to, to see what uh, is the most extreme example of it.
1: I'd be curious to know how much of that um, skill set you came into the graphic design program with, and how much of it you refined while you were there. Like, did, you both took the same program, so how much
0: illustration focus or encouragement is there? Oh, interesting question
3: i think like in my case it's um like our first year was fairly art basics focused like lots of drawing lots of painting lots of like art fundamentals and they kind of show how learning that helps your graphic design and then we kind of focus on the graphic design and then in the uh third year where you're kind of developing your own style um depending it's like individual independent right like so um, somebody's really into animation and After Effects, they try to focus every project through that lens. And whereas mine was illustration and storytelling, I tried to make every project about illustration and storytelling. And that's, yeah. So you're just kind of honing that, that skill that you're, you're most interested in. Interested in work.
0: Yeah, that sounds pretty much exactly like how it was for us. We did lots mm-hmm. of like gouache and con- Conte and different things, life drawing. Um, But then it kind of was not as important moving forward unless you wanted it to be.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So that was self-corrected. You guys had a chance to
3: sort of course correct. Yeah. Yeah, like the graduating class, like there was guys who went and opened up a tattoo shop. Um, a couple of people became photographers. A uh, couple got into like visual effects, like lots of After Effects heavy stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I think I'm the only, one of the only illustrators that I know of, Um, and then a lot, yeah, like everybody went into web and logo design and stuff like that, so it's lots of variety coming out of that program.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think in third, you, you really see what people are interested in.
3: Yeah. Whereas, like, I've heard from, like, the fine arts, they try to tailor it a little tighter, Like, they they work within a box, which is kind of fun. Yeah.
1: It's just a different way of approaching the problem, yeah, for sure. Um, But commercial, you know, they would, from a fine art perspective, they view what we're doing as commercial art. And commercial art's end goal, one could consider to be um, to monetize it by making repeatable objects, you know, whether it's a uh, graphic design on a shirt or in a book or whatever. Mm-hmm. The idea is that you're going to make a thing that you can recreate a number of times, whereas fine out some of the focus, there seems to be so many more rules to what, well, it's funny, <laughs> in some ways there's less rules and in some ways there's more rules, but the, like the core idea is, is about a, uh, a, a singular expression of a focused idea that may or may not have a commercial component right like you can make something that is the perfect expression of your idea and however you've managed to iterate it might to the outsider seem like madness you know like you're standing in a room uh draped in gauze flinging mud at the fair walls and someone's recording it and then they take the sound of that and and that sound is actually the art you were trying to make right mm-hmm someone would see that and be like, what's the point? What's that for? Right? What it was for was simply to express that specific moment in that specific place and time. It's difficult for our society to see that as having value because you can't sell it. Yeah. But not everything that has value has a monetary value also. Right? Mm-hmm. Experience. Experiential um, exploration is more the focus of a fine arts degree. Now, The problem is that once you leave, you still need a job. Yeah. Right? So, you know, we could talk uh, ad nauseum about this. What I'd like to talk about, though, (laughs) is uh, come cycle back around to, uh, Hannah, when you started doing conventions, Mm -hmm. what did that, what was the moment that you said, oh, I'm going to go book a spot at a comic show and sell my art?
0: This is uh, actually kind of interesting. I guess I never told you guys, but I actually didn't sign up for a table. My dad signed me up and told me that I was going to be doing it. That's (laughs) amazing. And I had, like, I think maybe two or three weeks to make prints. Like, I didn't have any prints. It was this mad rush (laughs) to make stuff.
1: Wait, wait, wait. wait. So, like, we're not... (laughs) In a comparable time frame for our ages, at the same time, my dad would have been like, "Hey, I talked to my friend at the greenhouse. I think I got your job hauling soil. If you need
3: a job." In your case, your dad was like, "I signed you up for a
0: convention."
3: Comic <laughs> convention. <laughs> comic <laughs> conventions. Had he been to one, or did?
0: I don't even think he. Oh no, that's not true. We we had attended one. Um, that's right. Okay. We went to one. That was the first time I saw you guys. I, I didn't talk to you. I was way too shy. Um, but I saw that some of the art was like, you know what? This isn't too far off from where I am. But I never would have My had...
1: Congratulations, dear listener. This Greg and Justin, they're not really that...
0: Good no, fans, no, no, no. I'm not talking... <laughs> <laughs> I just mean that there were some amateurs there too. So... I think my dad saw that and was like, you could do this too. Why not try it?
3: I think, yeah, that's a common misconception, right? That like Artist Alley is only professional. A lot of artists are very hesitant to sign up because they're not Mm -hmm. good enough. No, 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 no. You're you're good enough. Sign up if you want. Yeah. The variety is so special.
1: Yeah. In those places, the market bears it out, right? If you don't have what the market wants, you find out after three days and then that's fine. It's a lot better than, say, starting a career and signing a two-year contract with a firm doing something and then realizing, oh God, I don't want to ever do this. Yeah. Um, figuring out whether you can do illustration as a job and doing four or five conventions to figure out if people will pay money for it is a pretty um, pretty open apprenticeship available to everybody essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, So it'll be interesting to see what happens um, moving forward from this moment in time, when shows come back, if they come back, if big shows are done
3: and only little shows are a thing, you know, for the foreseeable future. (laughs) I want to hear more about this story. So your dad signed you up. You had, like, very little time Mm -hmm. to prep for your very first show
0: yeah so i picked i think i set my mind on like i'm gonna have at least 10 prints oh i sometimes i cringe about like the way i did the first show but i'm sure that happens to everyone um (laughs) i quickly made 10 i think the best seller was one of elsa elsa was like really popular at that moment Mm -hmm. um and then to get it printed like i didn't even know anything about printing My mom used to be a photographer, and so we had, like, this really old, giant Epson printer. And we had some paper left over, so we bought new cartridges, and I printed all my prints on that. And um, also thought, for some reason, it would be a good idea to make each print available in four different sizes. Ooh. All right. That was not a good idea. Not
2: a good idea. (laughs) No.
0: Uh, yeah i think uh, so.
3: and like how what like did like monetary wise like were you super
0: happy with how it went or were you yeah so, i like, i didn't think anyone would pay anything for my art at that point yeah. in time right <laughs> so it was like oh my gosh people are actually buying this this is crazy what you got Ooh, empire strikes back um 25 quarter
1: I think I want to take a moment here and unschool an idea, though, that you would just said, like, oh, I don't think anyone would pay anything for what I'm what I'm making. That's usually the thing that stops people from doing anything. They wouldn't try printing it in four sizes. They wouldn't even make the work in the first place. They certainly would have forced their parents to get their money back because they're not showing up to that show, <laughs> right? Yeah. But there's that, there's a thing at play that I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit for, right? You're you're a you're a humble person and that's to your credit, but I think one of the things that you don't give enough give yourself credit for is that despite your fears about its performance, you are still brave enough to take that work in multiple formats to a public place, put it on display, and hope for the best.
0: Yeah, I I never really thought about it as like brave, it was just kind of like, I, I'm just gonna do this.
3: There's so <laughs> yeah. much to realize that. You were worried.
0: Yeah, yeah. Honestly, oh my gosh. And I had like uh-huh. schoolwork on top of that. Oh god. Okay. Yeah.
3: So was this the magic of the
1: deadline that that, that helped you erase doubt.
0: That's yes, it probably was. I yeah.
1: that's can guess it? It just needs to be done. Yeah. Interesting. Now, but your mother. Now, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go back a little further. You said your mother uh, had a printer that could do these prints, which means she was already exhibiting her photography. So you yeah. had a model that you had seen growing up of someone making work, presenting work. Yeah. And, uh,
0: and people either showing up or not showing up. Well, she she used to like. She would do wedding photography for a bit, but like really, she loved doing abstract photography, and it's, it's sort of like foggy in my memory because I was so young but I have like we had so much exposure to the arts world as kids like we would go with her she used to I can't remember exactly if like how she was involved at this studio but I think it was possibly the edge gallery or something um and she would like be there and we would come with her and we would see like different types of art there was like pottery we knew someone Someone came to stay with us and live in our basement. Who did glass blowing, and it was like so neat. Like never saw this kind of stuff. So we Within had lots of exposure.
1: Glassblower you know, with your family.
0: <laughs> yeah, in the basement. I don't know for how long. I can't remember. His name was Sean.
1: <laughs> Sean the optimist in the basement blowing his own glass. So what I'm seeing here, though, is a. Uh, see, and this I think is the secret ingredient justin and i have gone to schools many times on the proviso that whether they can pay us or not we have said that kids can't be what they can't see right and if we go and show them here's a path to a job here's some ways that you do it then they have that in their mind as a thing that oh well it's it's a thing that's done ergo i can do it it seems like this was inadvertently your parents had prepped you yeah without knowing that yeah. art is possible. That art is valuable. That art is, is about his experience. Right? Yeah. And that every now and then, a um,
0: strange man with molten glass. <laughs> <laughs> well, and she she was friends with um, Bill Eakin. I think he's, that's his name. He's like a Winnipeg photographer. I think he's quite well known. We used to have like Christmas Eves with him. Um, and he would always encourage my art. I had, like, these little white binders full of sketches that I, like, prized because he told me to keep everything in clear plastic sheets so that I would have record of it. So oh. I, I had so much encouragement, you know. That's it made you know, a that's difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well,
3: and, like, kind of tying into what like Gregory was saying there, too, like, you can't be what you can't see, or also... Um, like our jobs, our jobs kind of evolved in the last couple of years. Like our jobs weren't
0: around when we were growing up, mm-hmm.
3: and so if you grew up in a household that's a little more or not as open-minded and, and encouraging, we just wouldn't even consider a job that it doesn't exist yet, right? But it's, yeah. this job market, especially the creative ones, are are constantly evolving. You know, yeah. Now we're surrounded by people who make money off of YouTube Yeah. <laughs> I know, like
1: It's, it's, it's yeah. great. Can you imagine if I had said to my dad, I believe one day there's going to be a way to have a living playing other people's videos <laughs> or other people's, other people's video games and make videos of it. I'm
3: going Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, what's, uh, a thing now. Right? Yeah. No way.
1: And even I, you know, like in a way i was a late bloomer to the art world uh, or as far as like taking it seriously. Um, not because my parents didn't encourage my creativity, but they over-encouraged practicality. Mm. Right? It was yeah. not like, oh, you shouldn't draw or you shouldn't read or you shouldn't write. It's that when you've put those things away, you should also get some training and get a quote-unquote real job. Right. You know? And that's mm. not to their, um, I harbor them no ill will for it now. I did probably then resent it more. But I, I see it in context.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Right? mean, they didn't know what to suggest to me. Yeah. And the, right. the echo of that in my graph design advice was always like, if you want to be an illustrator, take graph design, we'll make you a better illustrator, and you'll have a job if you need one in graph design. Yeah. Yeah, because one of the things that motivates me a
1: lot to, um, you know, like to do the mentorship we've done it a number of times with Red River or to uh, reach out to other. Uh, creatives at the come show and, and try to, you know, offer an opportunity is because I had to start so late. I often think to myself, if I had started, if someone had encouraged me in a serious way, 10 years earlier, where could I be? Even if it had been a stranger, that would have been enough.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. Even if it had been a stranger and I didn't have that. Instead, I ended up, I showed Justin, I texted him a picture of it the other day this drawing I had done in grade five, which I thought was a pretty great drawing, but it had a lot of blood in it. It was like a half-orc fighting a dragon in a, in a stream. I ended up in the counselor's office at my school.
2: Because oh, they no. found
1: this, they believed to be a outpouring of negative, violent emotion, and I should definitely see someone about this, all right? Um, when really I look at it now, I'm like, that's pretty dope for a grade five. <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, it's interesting. So that's part of our motivation there. But then also the other thing is I've been, we've been in, involved in publishing enough uh, in bad ways to know how often and how, how regularly people are taken taking advantage of when they're starting out. So we tried to create a, like a work model where someone would own it after. Even if like we print this book and we go through it, you'll still have that share of that IP. And even if we don't make bank on the print run, it's still yours. Mm -hmm. And 20 Mm -hmm. years from now, or 10 years from now, or five years from now, when someone says, what else you got? You have this finished thing that you can then republish. Like books live a long time, and reissues of books sometimes become the best sellers, right? Yeah. Um, And try to
3: to, um, assert that opportunity for somebody else. Isn't that exactly. like, where the wild things are had been like it was published, but it was like poorly. It was published like very low run, or maybe he was just applying different places for it. and He just he was about to give up on it, and he met uh, a, like an old friend in the street, and they took a chance on it. Now it's you have Maurice mm-hmm. Sendak's like story with Where the Wild Things Are. Yeah, it has it has one of those like great backstories. I'm, I'm sure I'm misquoting it, but it was right. something along the lines. He was about to give up as a as a story maker, and yeah, somebody took a chance, and, and now it's a movie. And so, Todd McFarlane just shared a rejection letter from I want to say like
1: 1985 or something like that, somewhere in that era, uh, to Archie Comics. Like, if you think of Todd McFarlane who created Spawn, <laughs> right, applying to Archie Comics to be a regular series illustrator. Well the thing that really struck me in his post about it, he said, here's my letter, and this is the complete letter of Fort Um he said this was one of two hundred rejections I received that year.
3: Wow. Uh, working hard to get rejected. And that yeah. is the magic there, yeah. right? Yes,
1: um, you know, it's hard, but giving up is the is the easy part. Right? This is why I say to you that you showed up at that show with your work. Right? (laughs) Failing to accept that rejection. And I see now it's partially because you had... I mean, I'm just being an armchair psychologist right now, but you had an environment where you had seen artists make work and then exhibit the work and not put a lot of stress on whether or not it generated income. Yeah. That was just the step of making art was showing it off. Yeah. Right? So... Good on you guys. I'm learning so much about myself in this podcast, (laughs) which
0: I guess is a good thing. She thinks his fear is courage, and he thinks his fear is love. Well they were made for each other. What do we think
2: is the right move for the book now? Is it to finish it and wait?
1: (laughs) Is it to finish it and try to put it on Kickstarter? Is it to finish it and send it out to publishers and try to find someone else with longer reach? Do it the old-fashioned way? Um, What do you guys think is the direction we should explore right now? Or maybe what are you you most comfortable with? We're having a
3: business meeting on the podcast now. Yeah, but I think it's important for the listener to hear that this conversation is an important conversation
1: and that not everyone's ready for that when it comes up. Right. So we should maybe Mm brainstorm.
3: Yeah. Um, So like the last couple weeks, I've been doing quite a bit of research on Kickstarter and campaigns, and I've started to like build my Kickstarter campaign for September and stuff like that. Um, For 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 drinks. Yeah, and I'm feeling really good and confident about it. Just kind of seeing what people can do and achieve on it, and um, just kind of. How it works. I uh, I like the idea of kickstarting. I am like a little like I I have Dragon Nanny almost done. I also have my my next art book is finished and ready to print right now, and so I'm kind of debating as well. Like, what do I do with that? Because it's just slowly growing as I make more work and kind of pop it in there. Um, so I like the I like the idea of Kickstarter. Although I feel like it needs a buffer between like. If I'm promoting one in September, mm-hmm. I can promote one in October, like kind of ask that same audience, yeah. like, you need to support another one? Right. And I'm having yeah, yeah. My, yeah, my art book, right? Like I shouldn't do my art book. If I was gonna do it on Kickstarter, I wouldn't do it now and then do Nanny two months later. Right. So if we do Kickstarter, I would just want it to be a bit of a buffer. But then the, the great thing about that is we really don't have to sink any capital into printing the book unless it gets funded, right? right? Yeah, well, they put the risk out of their way, right? Like if we
1: we do Dragon Annie, it's successful, and we fulfill those orders, then that becomes a group of people who are, uh, who believe that you'll fulfill the orders. Right, reaching exactly. back up to them after that's been fulfilled and saying, here's our next kids book, 100 Helpers. Here's a, you know, and kind of like launch it from Hannah's perspective. Like here's a new illustrator. Here's the story yeah. of it. You know, post this podcast, whatever. Um, maybe that's the way to do it. Looking at it as a long-term strategy, you know, because yeah. normally it would have taken us six months anyway to figure out if we can, recoup the cost, visiting shows and really putting a lot of uh, a feet on the pavement. Yeah. If we're waiting six months to launch it and building yeah. up the Kickstarter, it amounts to maybe the same the same thing for mm-hmm. us. Right. Um the other thing that's interesting there is that the money that you and I, Justin, would normally put into that printing or put into um, you know, the booth setup, like printing those banners and getting the tables yeah. in the stand- we can put into maybe uh, a marketing budget that really pushes the Kickstarter digitally into avenues that we normally don't reach. Advertising, yeah. Because Adversi- no, yeah. online advertising is, you know, it's expensive in some regards, but if you have something to point it it's, right it's, at. Yeah. It's cheap as you want it to be, really. Yeah. 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 You know, so in spe- mm-hmm. instead of spending five grand on a booth set up, uh, if we set it, set it up and spend it on uh, Kickstarter advertising, or advertising that points to that Kickstarter platform at the same time, it might recoup the same cost as the marketing at the booth anyway.
0: Right. You
1: know? wow. uh, I was just talking with Alexander Finbo, uh, talking, uh, emailing with him, he's the uh, publisher at Renegade. They and just launched? Yeah, they just launched one, and they did it with a really low Fresh. Yeah, I was kind of surprised they wanted only two thousand. Yeah, because what they're trying to do is a virtual Comic Con kind of thing. Each of those books will have the will have Laverne uh, uh, sketch in it or write in it. It's like a it's like a virtual Comic Con experience. Like since we're not doing shows and you normally get it direct from us, here's a way to get it direct from us. And they made them the, the they printed the books already. That wasn't a holdup because they have a publisher backing them. They paid everyone on the creative team already, so that's not a hold up. This is a way for the publisher to then reach out and say, can we create an artificial kind of
3: event that people can attend since they can't attend it in person? So I think it's a little hard to do that on Kickstarter. Like, I didn't look much at it, but it's, it's kind of an abstract concept. You're used to just funding the printing of the book. Yeah, so and I'll be nice to know how it works. Yeah. yeah. But, but if it does work, there's maybe a capacity for us to
1: do something along those lines, also.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. The other fun thing about that is, we had all those fun plans for uh, conventions, like enamel pins and other prints and all those, and now those can kind of be built in as as tiers or right. specials. Like if we don't want to invest a bunch of of money experimenting with enamel pins, we can see if people if there's that demand for it. You know. Right.
1: And also, Hannah, if you're not having to travel to all those shows, what are you working on? What are you creating that's like something that is your own or maybe that you own or maybe for someone else that we could combine the launch of one that also shines the light on that other thing? Right. You know, like the things that you're making in in an online space, actually, rather than just distract, they actually create added value. So. Um something tells me you're probably working away on some secret things as you usually are. Um, um
0: <laughs> It's not really secret. Uh I am working with someone that I met through Instagram. I think I mentioned them before. We're still in the character design phase. We're doing it really like slowly. Um but I think that book is going to be good. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. So you have some other work also so you'll be able to fill that time gap.
0: Yeah um how um
3: book launches like at mcnally like there is we're doing pretty well in the province of manitoba and i think we're at the phase now where you're allowed to have gatherings up to 50 people um is has there been any news from the bookstores Is like are they are they open and running right now or are they doing sort as far as I know, so McNally has not
1: reopened any of its launch events because um, from their perspective, some launches bring 25 people and some bring 150 people. Can we do an story? outdoor book launch? Yeah, I wonder if you could. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like are, are we in a position now where you're gonna, we're going to want to rent like a wedding tent? So <laughs> and then have... You know, I'm, we're Joe talking about it, but you know, that's not a not a half bad idea because then you could have the social distancing laid out on the floor. You could have how the lineups would work. You could have it all in a very
3: safe way. That's also outside, we could do, but- We could do it at the Forks. They have that big, great, great circular tent that's a skating rink in the, the winter. They've got a bar right there that's open. It's a, an outdoor bar patio. So it's lots of people there already. Ooh. We that could have incredible. an outdoor-
0: event do they rent out that space or something
1: so uh, there is um i know some people who do some of the event coordination for the forks um who are geniuses in organizing that kind of stuff um but for the for a place like the forks and for the dear listener who is abroad uh, we have a place where all the rivers in winnipeg meet which we call the forks and it's this big sort of public space with a market and a skating rink and, you know, uh, all kinds of fun amenities. Um, They, if you as an artist are willing to provide what they call an activation, something that seems like added value for people who showed up and didn't know there was an event in progress, um, then they can be, they're really much more open. So I'll give you a specific example. Uh, For Canada Day, I went there once and I said, I'd really like to sell my prints. At Canada Day, when we have this enormous crowd there, can I set up that? And they said, well, we don't really want to just have a person in, you know, set up in the middle of a crowd selling stuff. Vendors aren't really our jam for that. What can you give the crowd that makes it worthwhile for us to bend that rule?" And I said, well, I will do uh, free sketches. Anyone that wants a sketch of themselves as a superhero will get. And so I did 500 sketches over the course of those two days. Um, wow. That I gave away for free while my booth, I had people running the booth. So people would come for the free sketch, they would get something. If they didn't want to buy anything or even browse, that was fine. They were free to go on their, about their business with their free superhero sketch. Um, but that was me sort of paying my way to then have this other avenue to sell. I had a, a print shop that I did a little pop-up there. And that worked yeah. really well. So if we were able to, if we were to craft some kind of event that was engaging for kids and parents, and let people like come and really celebrate it. Maybe it's not a book launch, but maybe it's just a way
3: for all three of us to really connect with a community that we've been missing.
0: Strange, isn't it? People are crazy here, I think it's a humidity.
3: Hannah, you did, one of my favorite parts of the book is in the back, you have the like, what's different between these scenes, and like, find, like, all this. Like, I love that <laughs> stuff. And already, like, just print those back, it, like, do like coloring pages and then some like kid activity pages like find the differences yeah. and maybe a word search with scary monsters I mean, you know like you can make up a little activity book that it comes yeah. with every book that kids can color all over and do their thing on and that way they won't want to draw on the book as much as kids are known to do right um, <laughs> i i think that book lends like it has a lot of fun things that could be added on to make an engaging event with kids totally as long as we're as long as we're throwing compliments i will
1: say that i really feel i've been feeling lately going through the the draft that you sent. um i really i feel really strongly that we're going to make a really good book but i also think anna what you've done with mermy the little (laughs) (laughs) mermaid He is such an iconic character. The shape language of his, like little barbel on top that lights <laughs> up, and his, and his, expressions, and his just his, bar, everything about him. Uh, it's like I feel like a 1920s movie producer. Like, hey, kid, you're gonna be a star. <laughs> like, I want, I want other mermy merchandise so bad. When I meet him, I just feel like he could carry a whole story, a whole adventure on his own, just with the character design.
3: Um, I, Greg, I can see you wearing the mermy enamel pin in a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. Now, you're <laughs> it rough, you make making a I'll wear it to the lunch. <laughs> um, so I've sent the book to uh, a couple of my sisters with young kids. And um, the m- most frequent comment that I get back is people wanting to know what's behind the door. Right. Which is the best. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like the Hatch in Lost. If they never opened it, it would have been better. It's like that. Um, who wants to describe to the dear listener the door page? Well, I think maybe what we should do is we'll do a, <laughs> just a brief
1: breakdown of the book itself. The book is about three monsters that live in a haunted house that are having trouble making three. friends. Right, half. That's right. I guess he's sort of a half. Yes. like three and a half. Uh, and they decide that they're gonna open a bed and breakfast. And so they sort of, they fake it. They turn their haunted house into a bed and breakfast. And when they invite people, those people are still afraid because of course they're hiding who they really are. And when people show up and they find out they're monsters, they run away. And then they realize that hiding their differences is the problem, that they should leave with their differences, celebrate their differences, be who they are. And once they just start advertising that they are a haunted house, they get lots of people who are willing to come and see. It's just a cute little story mm-hmm. about, um, you know, uh, being who you are and just accepting who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's always new ways to look at things in the night and the day. And Hannah's illustrated this to just be the cutest, <laughs> most heart, heart, what's the word, softening little tail. <laughs> um If you're a real careful reader, you can find some sinister undertones in it, so don't look too hard. But there is a, uh, there's this door. The thing they're talking about is this door called the Passage of Doom, which is just in the book. And it is, behind it are these red eyes, and there's like cracks in it, and there's this squeaky round, like... Yeah, keep out sign. And yeah. the streaky fingerprints that like something has been dragged inside or you don't know what. Um, and Hannah took that little note and she turned it into this. It looks, there's these like little jars of jam so that if you look <laughs> in, you're like, oh my God, is that blood? No, it's jam. It's so cute <laughs> that it's, oh um, my God, it's so good. <laughs> but every kid that reads it or sees it, yeah, wants to know what's back there. And I think that's um, like how Mercer Mayer always had those those uh, spiders and bats always having little side adventures in the corners of all of his books. Yeah. That's how it feels like to me. Um, uh, you also did such a really uh, fantastic job of, I, f- I felt, of the pace between uh, what our character pages, which I'll describe as just the isolated character and a splash of color, no specific background, versus very detailed backgrounds uh, so when the when the script would call for us really needing to see the place, you do this kind of wide, sudden reveal shot of, like, the whole haunted room. But when we're just dealing with the characters, we're just right there with them. And for a book for young readers, I just feel, I mean, it's, it's a prevailing wisdom that you try not to fill up those pages with too much superfluous information. So we get to turn that on and off. Like, here's a whole bunch of hidden things you can look for. Well, now we're just going to follow along with the story. It's like it's like the lights get flicked on in the haunted mm-hmm. house and you get to look really closely once in a while. Love it.
0: Wow, you guys are just making my heart sing.
1: <laughs> well, you've been working hard. You should just need get yeah. some solid feedback. Um, do you think that um, this is the kind of thing that we... Let me ask it another way. Can you picture it in other media? And if so,
0: what? By other media, do you mean like television or movies or? Uh,
2: TV, movies,
1: you know, toys, merchandise, clothing, apparel. You know, we have enamel pins because that's a thing at shows. I don't know how well that'll work normally. Um, You know, we have prints. What are some other sort of vehicles for this project that maybe, since we have a lot of time to consider what the real launch would look like, that we could also pitch towards, you know?
0: I mean, as, um, oh, you go first.
1: No,
2: Hannah first.
0: I was just going to say that as a kid, uh, I remember getting the Scholastics, uh, you know, the list of all the different books you could purchase through the school. And the ones I always wanted came with a toy. <laughs> Some oh, kind of tangible so something.
1: So it was like a book plus a something. So it yeah. felt like you got to play with it after too.
0: Yeah.
1: Interesting. That's not uh, unreachable. Even on our Kickstarter goal, like you could have 20 that came with that because we have a 3D printer in our, in our um, oh, yeah. wheelhouse now. Um, we've been working on prototypes for, oh. yeah, check out Dragon Nanny there. All right? So, it's it's more
3: I think I'm talking. Yeah. Or, it's, um, I think uh, we're kind of knitted, like, some, like, little pillowy knitted version of, like, the Vampy's bats and just Mermaid's head. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Like yeah. A, plush? a lot. Yeah, plush. That was the word I yeah. was the word. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Flashbook would be really cute. Yeah, whereas like the the three the three D printer is um I don't know, we you gotta think like the the reader of this book is probably on the younger side. You know, the mm-hmm. Yeah, so it has to be a very durable little toy. Right.
0: Yeah. Well the one the one book I remember the most getting from Scholastics. I don't remember the title of it, but it was about this little I think it was a cat with giant ears and it came with this tiny toy, little plush of like the head was huge. The ears were huge. It had a little Cape and then just like a tiny body. <laughs> and I loved that thing.
1: <laughs> well, there are a number of uh, there's a number of people we know who have sort of connections to that world of mass producing that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And we could really get those ugly guys. We could reach out to them and find out. What's the... Yeah, Eugene,
3: that guy, man, uh, yeah, he works hard. Yeah, that's um, little stuff. Um, that's an interesting I, talk. I've, uh, I'm really excited about enamel pins these days. Like In my original like 2020 plan, I was going to be producing my own. So I've designed a couple, but I haven't actually gone through and printed any. Um, just because, yeah, I don't... I plan on distributing them at, at shows. Yeah. Um, but I think that's that's gonna be a strong um, strong addition to any book. We have some pins.
0: Bookmarks are always good. Ooh, um, I just had an idea. Maybe uh, if we do the activity book, I don't know if you've ever had those books where it would come with like a set of stickers and then just like a background? Oh, yeah.
3: yeah. I Yes, that is a good idea. Mm-hmm. But, like they're vinyl stickers that you can kind of stick and unstick
0: yeah.
3: Oh, and yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So you yeah. could like make your own scene.
3: Yeah, die cut stickers just by themselves too. I think would be cute. Yeah. And with our printer in the past, we've reached out for um, like paper that's about to like paper gets old and they have to recycle it or mm-hmm. or throw it out. Um, so we got some. Cheap paper that they were about to toss uh, that I think it was too dry or it was too old to print on. Mm. So we just got
1: yeah,
3: the paper just reaches a stale date that
1: it has to be used, otherwise, it can't feed into their machines in a guaranteed, right. successful way. Like the loss of paper, and once it comes up a few percentage points of like, oh, we'd lose 4% of that stack, it's not worth it for them to print on it because there's too many damaged books. So they keep track of the Paper inventory, And at a certain point, it becomes something they're about to get rid of. And we've reached out to our suppliers and said, when it's about to r- reach that point, let us know, and we'll make up a book that we can put on it <laughs> yeah. so that it doesn't get wasted. It becomes a little more environmentally friendly yeah. that way. We used it before the stale. Once it's printed, it's, it's not like the paper's bad. Like stale-date paper isn't bad. It just doesn't feed into
3: the machines as well. Right. So yeah. we kind so, of stays the waste from that. Um, um, but like a, like a, a separate little like just um, stapled little activity book made of uh, like um, like newsprint almost, you know, like yeah. a, a paper that's is a little bit easier to color on and draw on. Yeah, because even if it was
1: two, two sheets, you'd end up with what, um, or you could have eight pages, have an eight page activity booklet really easily. Yeah. Yeah. Right fun and, and easy to give away and people even if someone is like coming to see the book or coming to see the launch or you know when shows are open again whether or not they want to buy it it gives you something that's tangible to say thank you for your attention yeah here's an activity mm-hmm. book right and
3: it there's no um, it's not a big burden of cost yeah yeah and then like you know as a young kid I remember like just non stop Flow of little activity books on like every movie and every show had like duckings yeah. of them, right? Like every movie that you Sorry? Yeah, do the maze. Yeah. And, you know, color in Buzz Lightyear and, and do the word search and yeah. all that stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: You know what, though? I always hated word searches. Did you guys actually do word searches?
0: I did. I didn't do Mind them successfully, usually. Is it just because you're not good at word searches? Uh, I guess. But I think that's what I'm reviewing or right not.
3: Yeah. No, they,
0: they were not, kind of boring but, compared to the other activities.
1: Um, the other thing about, like, since the book, and, and the thing that one has to keep in mind all the time when you're making a book for young readers, is that you don't market the book necessarily to the reader, but to the parent. And so why I think Haunted Helpers is a nice, um, uh, has a nice fit is because parents or grandparents or people give gifts for their message value, right? It's like a proxy. You buy someone the giving tree and you give it to them because you want to say, I love you, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, The idea that our story is about figuring out how to love yourself and like be a champion of your own, uh, what's up? I think we lost Justin. He's
2: yeah.
1: dead now. <laughs> we go on without him. Be a champion of your own um, for yourself, right? That's yeah. a, an important message. And parents would like to, I think, instill that message in the young readers. And yeah. people would like to give that message as a gift. It's their proxy, right? The, the moral that they're hoping.
0: Yeah, they're, they're passing on their values,
1: right? Uh, this has been Super Bulk Science, where we've been talking to Hannah Tico, the illustrator of 100 Helpers. And also uh of (laughs) Mr. Cat Meets Kitten. Mr. Cat Meets Kitten, which is available on demand on Amazon right now. Um also Justin Curry has suffered with us. This is Gregory Kamichek encouraging (laughs) you to join the fight, make comments.